The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, hello everyone, and welcome to this continuation of the Introduction to Meditation series. And for this um, current series that we're coming to the last week, and the last week of it, and two announcements. One is that um, probably I'll I'll start a new series on Monday. Maybe it's Introduction to Meditation Part 2, or maybe we call it the Intermediate Instructions. But um, I think it'd be nice to continue on this and build on what we've done these weeks. And the second is that um, there was a time we used to do some uh, community meetings on Zoom, usually on Fridays at the end of the week. And I haven't had the chance to do that for a long time, but I do have this Friday. So I'll post a Zoom link uh, on IMC's What's New. And to um, and then I will... Um, uh, also announce it again, and then I'll, I'll post it in the chat on Friday. And we'll go there right after this uh, meeting uh, on, on YouTube. And those of you who like to come together, we'll have some time for maybe me for me to give some updates, maybe for uh, you to ask me some questions, and maybe for some breakout groups so some of you can meet each other and have those small conversations. So... So as for today, the, um, the con- uh, continuation of practice, the deepening of mindfulness practice, is greatly helped by wisdom. Wisdom is the quality of understanding that supports us from, uh, pr- that kind of protects us from getting entangled, being caught with what our experience is or what's happening. Uh, we don't get reactive, we don't get attached, we don't get uh, resentful, we don't uh, hostile to it. But rather, it what supports us to meet things with a profound respect, with a profound respect for ourselves, where we can uh, kind of hold our seat, uh, take our place in a clear, upright way, and... Um, and uh, and uh, be able to meet people with uh, respect, with kindness, and maybe with wisdom, because we've taken the time to really know what's happening here and now. So one of the advantages of developing some concentration with mindfulness is that concentration tends to quiet the thinking mind. And as, we, as the thinking mind gets quieter, then uh, we see the thinking mind better. Uh, it begins, when it does arise, we start seeing it in highlight against the silence, against the stillness. Often in daily life, we're so busy thinking, we don't even know we're thinking. Distracted from distractions by distractions. And, um, and the th- thoughts might be coming so fast that we almost don't have time to really assess what's going on. But as we sit and meditate, there's a tendency to get calmer, 
not always, but when it does. And then we can start seeing the thoughts as they arise, see them in highlight. And we can start seeing the nature of some of these thoughts. We can start seeing them for what they are. And in doing that, we become, um, uh, you know, able to see what, uh, to start seeing something without, uh, free of the lens of the particular concepts, ideas, paradigm, even by which we're living. And, um, and we can see with fresh eyes, see in new ways. And so to, as practice develops, we develop more and more wisdom, we understand better what's happening. And the understanding makes it easier not to get caught in it. So I want to uh, do a little show and tell uh, around um, uh, this. And uh, first I'm going to uh, hold up a flower. And, uh, and this flower, um, just, you know, it's, uh, it's a little flower of sorts. And, um, and a little purple and green. And uh, if you hold up just a flower, it's just a flower. And there's a famous story that's told, kind of mythic story, that uh, the Buddha was in an assembly of people and he held up a single flower and didn't say anything. But one disciple smiled. And uh, the Buddha recognized this and then uh, recognized somehow the awakening of that disciple and um, gave him permission to be a teacher himself. And, um, and this is a story is particularly told in the Zen tradition. And so Buddha just hold up the flower. And one of the things about the flower is the suchness of the flower. Just the flower is itself. And many times we think flowers are beautiful and appreciate them. And, and uh, in Japan they have an, a, an, sometimes a custom of having a single flower in a special place, in a tokamono, a special uh, uh, alcove in the wall. And, the, and by having just one, not a big bouquet of flower, but a single flower that then highlights the specialness of the flower, the dustness, the suchness, the flower in itself. When we put a big bouquet, it's beautiful maybe with colors and everything, but the, the uniqueness and specialness of each flower is lost in the whole, the whole bouquet. So just holding up a flower. And so maybe we appreciate that. But then um, we can do something different is I can hold up um, a different flower. And, uh, and this one is, new one is smaller. I don't know if you can, how well you can see it, but um, it's a smaller flower. And uh, so now we can say something we couldn't say before we can say that this flower is the large flower and this flower is the small flower. This flower is the, you know, and, uh, and you know, that's pretty straightforward and obvious. And if someone, um, if I ask someone to go get the large flower of two flowers, if this is what they were looking for, they would bring this one to me. So it's very effective if I have something in particular in mind to, uh, to call this the large and this and small. But now look what happens if I, and I'll do magic in front of your eyes and you'll see how the hand trick works of the magic. So remember, this is the small flower and this is a large flower. And um, so now um, I bring this flower 
And now, the f- flower that was a small flower before, the big flower before, the large, is now the smaller flower, with this white one is bigger. And, um, and so now, what was small, what was uh, large, is now small, right in front of your eyes. And, uh, and so it turns out that large and small is not inherent in the flower. Large and small involves a, the mental capacity to compare one thing and another. And so the flower in and of itself is neither large nor small. It just is what it is. Humans, with our, capac- our capacity to compare and our capacity to have desires, preferences, the desire to make things happen in the world, find it useful to compare uh, the large flower and the small flower depending on the context. But comparisons don't exist inherently in nature. It turns out that a fair amount of human suffering is one way or the other born from comparative thinking. That uh, uh, many people suffer because of how their body looks. And that means they're comparing their body to other people's bodies, their hair, their nose, their fingers, their belly, whatever. And... um, uh, or they're comparing it to some ideal we have of how it should be. It turns out that the body parts that we have can exist happily in their suchness. They can, that many times they can just be. Our hair can just be our hair. Our hair is content to be what it is, uh, whether we have a lot or little or something. And um, But it's because of our comparisons, our values, our fears, our stories we have around that we begin to suffer. We compare histories and biographies and compare people by what we've done and not done. We compare ourselves with our past to our present, our present to what our imagined future is. We compare uh, um, values. We compare, uh, you know, it goes on and on. Um, what we, we just comparison one to the other. We have <clears throat> thoughts, and we think that's the most beatific, wonderful thought that anybody's ever had. We have another thought, and we think that we're the, we have the most awful thought that anybody's ever have. And because and that involves comparison. Now, some of these comparisons have some usefulness uh, in order to get things done in the world. And um, <clears throat> but uh, if um, but it's also the, uh, the ways in which tremendous amount of suffering happens. If we sit in meditation, we will, might compare our breathing. Uh, yesterday I had a deep, long, sweet breath, and today the breath is shallow and tight. And we're comparing it, and through that comparison we want yesterday's breath, or we condemn today's breath. The breathing is just like the flower. The isness of the, of the breath is just what it is, a shallow tight breath is just a shallow, shallow tight breath. It, it's uncomfortable, but that's just discomfort in and of itself with no comparison to how it could be or how it used to be. And so there's something very profound that can happen when we see, oh, my reaction, my way of getting tight here, resistant or of uh, getting mentally entangled 
is born from the mental capacity to be comparing things. That's an activity of my mind. As we meditate and get quieter, that activity has a chance to quiet down. And we can see that it's somewhat optional. We don't have to always have these thoughts. Sometimes they're useful, as I said, but oftentimes they're a source of unnecessary suffering. And meditation is a time where we can't, we try to give ourselves the gift of letting ourselves just be in our isness, the suchness. You know, just we are the flower. We are the single flower that's allowed to exist without any comparison to anything else. Where the beauty, the uniqueness, the specialness of each of us as flowers is allowed to just be as it is, regardless of the characteristics of our body, regardless of our belief systems, regardless of our past and the future, regardless of whether we're healthy or sick or have some limitation or not limited in some ways, that all those things are something we can respect and care for at the right time. But to live caught in those or oppressed by all kinds of things um, is a major source of human suffering. And to sit in meditation, think of meditation as the place where we are allowed to just breathe, just exist as we are, to be our the unique flower that we are. And for a few minutes, put aside all the comparative thinking so that just to be alive is wonderful, just to be here and now, free of all these comparisons. And of course, that's easier said than done. And part of mindfulness practice is when the comparative thinking arises, to recognize it as such, and uh, step away from it so we're not entangled with it, turn around and look at it clearly, oh, that's comparative thinking. And, and then meet it carefully. Steady ourselves on that. Oh, that's how it is. Um, and um, maybe three breaths journey with, oh, that's the mind that compares. Then maybe feeling the physical sensations of what comparative thinking is like feel the underlying emotion. Each of them is given their time. Each we're met with, we respect, taking our time. And, um, and, uh, and perhaps you'll discover the gift of letting yourself be a flower, letting yourself just be yourself, breathing, meditating, just being yourself, practicing with that. Um, so this is how wisdom can operate, part of wisdom. And uh, as your practice goes along, uh, there might become a day where this kind of uh, wisdom becomes obvious and available, and it'll support the further development of the meditation. So thank you very much, and I look forward to meeting tomorrow.